0: Hey, this is Kite, a podcast about the creators of your favorite newsletters. Every week or so, we'll bring an author to the show to hear his story and how the newsletter came to be. I'm Fabio, and I'm here today with Alberto, my co host. Hello, hey. We're co-founders of Kite, an app that allows you to reclaim your inbox by taming the newsletters you receive. If you want to find out more about it, visit heykite.com. For the first episode, we're here with Titus Viscanta. He's the founder and editor of Abnormal Returns, one of the best blogs in the investment blogosphere, and its newsletter, a daily summary of the best links in finance and investment, is one of our favorites. Titus, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure thanks for having me awesome and so the idea for these conversations is that we're going to run something that's very open-ended we don't have a rigid script the idea is to get to know your story, Titus, and in general how you started blogging and how the newsletter came to be to start off i think that a very valid question is how did you start in finance how did you end up working in finance
1: well, I've really been in finance uh, my entire career. So uh, ever since I graduated from uh, from university, I've been in finance in one form or fashion. And so I've had a number of different roles and different responsibilities in finance. And I think that kind of informs how I view the world, kind of uh, more as a generalist than, any, uh, than an expert in any specific area. And so that's kind of the way that I think about the world, and that's kind of the way that I blog and write as well. I'm really looking at it uh, from kind of a, a, an overview point, as opposed to uh, as as opposed to having any sort of specific sort of uh, expertise or viewpoint in any area. Oh, that's interesting. Diving deeper
0: there, why did you first choose finance back in college?
1: Well, I wasn't uh, in college. I wasn't necessarily um, a, a finance major. My undergraduate degrees were in. Uh, economics and political science, and so I really came to the markets and finance uh, after that point when uh, I kind of went into the workforce. So I'd always had an interest in financial markets and had uh, done some investing as, uh, as kind of a, a younger person. So I guess I always had my eye on it, but I felt that uh, having a background in, a broader background in, in other areas would help me uh, when it came to the uh, business world. So and I think that's been the case. I think that's been my the certainly that has been uh, the case with me.
0: right. so that's so that's interesting. You've been in finance now for a long time.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely
0: right. no that's 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 cool and and you seem really passionate about it, both when writing uh, in abnormal and just listening to you in this few minutes of the conversation before before we dive into into the blog itself, how did the early years of your career kind of shaped up? Uh, the blog, and how do you think those early years shaped up the person you are right now?
1: Well, I don't know that those early years uh, had a specific... uh, impact on how I write. I mean, I came to my interest in writing about the financial markets really came uh, came as an outgrowth of doing um, doing research and writing on topics in, um, in investing. And so that was really from kind of almost from a quasi-academic standpoint. And at that point, I was the co-author of a number of papers on uh, various topics that appeared in kind of the practitioner literature um, and that at one point almost got me to, uh, uh, I was interested in pursuing, potentially pursuing a PhD in finance and eventually begged off at that point. But it did give me kind of the bug to uh, write about these topics. And that's really, that's, uh, if there was an impact, that was really it. It gave me this insight and uh, desire to kind of speak to a broader audience. And you know, blogging was a really kind of the ultimate outgrowth of that.
0: So what was the context in which you decided to start blogging?
1: Well, the context was really was really kind of uh, one of failure to be to be perfectly honest. I had written uh, I had been involved in a hedge fund for a while and I had a, a great deal of uh, kind of uh, first-hand knowledge about uh, starting up a hedge fund and I'd written a book proposal about the hedge fund world it was essentially, you know, essentially kind of a hedge fund 101 book and I'd written the proposal and a couple of chapters and uh, before, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I was kind of shopping that book proposal around. Uh, and this is kind of in the era before self-publishing was really sort of an option. And unfortunately, that book proposal really never sold. And I kind of felt like I still needed an outlet to write. And at that time, the the investment blogosphere was just kind of getting started. And there were a handful of people... Uh, online blogging about uh, the markets, blogging about finance and investments and it seemed kind of a, a good outlet for me. And so, uh, like a lot of people, I kind of watched that space for a while and then uh, eventually took the plunge.
0: And how was that? I mean, how did you feel then starting writing in the blog, I mean, back in 2005? 2000, it, it was way smaller than it is today, and you had less people making the jump than you have today. So how did it feel back then, uh, started blogging? And, and how did... Yeah, let's start with that question.
1: Well, it, I, to, to me, it was scary, because I, frankly, I didn't put my name on it for a while. Um, I was, you know, it wasn't it wasn't viewed as a particularly professional sort of thing to do. And so I was concerned about... Uh, concerned about my reputation, to be frank, and so it really wasn't till a, uh, a couple of years later where I put my name on it and and started really to make a business out of it. And so, uh, so yeah, no, I think it was scary, but I think everybody, I think anybody who's writing online has that uh, has that fear. I mean, the first time you push publish um, is a scary time because you're kind of putting something out there in the world, and um, it might be ignored, it might be. Uh, viewed and, and it might be criticized. So I think, um, so I think uh, I, you know, I don't think I'm unique in the sense that uh, having some trepidation, having some trepidation about uh, putting my thoughts out into the world.
0: Yeah. I, I remember back when I used to blog heavily, um, when I started doing it, one of the best memories I have was when somebody commented on some, I had a blog, I, I, Posted something, and that was then republished on another site. And a random commenter, commenter just said and commented on how that specific post had impacted his or her uh, life. I don't remember exactly. What was the first really, really positive feeling you recall having as a result of blogging and working on Abnormal?
1: You know, it's funny because no, I have that. I had that. You know, a very similar sort of experience. I mean, I can, I can. Probably tell you right now, kind of the first few people who uh, linked to the blog or commented or, or things like that, and that was uh, very sort of impactful. Once you realize that um, you know something that you've done has attracted some positive attention from other people, that's a real um, that's a real positive sort of moment. And I think one of the best things about uh, about blogging at Abnormal Returns is that I have. Uh, somewhat the ability to do that for other bloggers today. I mean, I kind of take that responsibility sort of seriously in being, you know, maybe the first one or two people that kind of links to links to a new blogger and kind of exposes their work to the broader world. And so, uh, you know, that's a really great feeling when you when something you've done and written is kind of made an impact, however small it might be, on someone else. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's Uh, as much as anything that's one of the the great benefits of uh, of doing this yeah absolutely
0: which ones um stands up like which one of those members stands out to you now
1: well no i mean i could tell you there are a couple of people who are it's interesting because these people are still you know i think the first couple of people who link to the blog are are still out there blogging and and one of them is uh, joe weisenthal who's now at bloomberg and, and there's um, uh, you know, so I think he was one of the first people to, to link to the blog. And, and that was a, that was a great thrill for me. So
0: it's interesting to look back, uh, at those years and re- and, and then think how everyone evolves through a tra- uh, trajectory and how, and the feeling of being part of that is just great. So you mentioned that in the early years, you didn't really put your name uh, Associa, you then associate it with abnormal. what What decided? Uh, what made you decide to do that?
1: Well, I think uh, uh, well, I think it certainly made it easier for me for me to get started. I mean, but it was really once uh, you know, I had some inkling in terms of trying to turn the blog into uh, something more than more than that, in terms of um, trying to make some money off of it in terms of ads and other sorts of agreements. And so it was really uh, once uh, once that started coming into the equation that you know I kind of had to uh, put my name on it and and make it more of a professional sort of endeavor. And so, um, but I think, you know, it's interesting because I think there's room, there's certainly room within the blogosphere for people who um, you know who who want to remain. Um, either anonymous or um you know, or, or blog under a pseudonym. And I think, especially in finance, where there are certainly some jobs in finance and investments where you really, where you're restricted from uh, using uh, things like Twitter or you know, or blogs. And I think there, are, you, we can get uh, valuable insights from those people. And so, um, you know, I think there's room for all of those, all of those types of uh, participants in the blogosphere. But I think, you know, once you try and um, make it uh, somewhat more professional and try and make it sort of a um, a business then you know, that responsibility in terms of uh, putting your name on it becomes a necessity.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's an interesting note. Some of the most interesting Twitter accounts nowadays are anonymous and especially in finance, I'm not as close to the blogosphere as you are, but I do know some really interesting accounts there. Yeah, that's 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 an interesting that's an interesting point. So when you decided to indeed professionalize the blog and spend more time on it and put your name out there, how did you group your audience then? Was it organic or did you? What was your strategy there?
1: You know, it's funny because it's really you know, I, I, there's a couple of things. One is you know, abnormal returns has really just kind of been a slow burn over time. I mean, it's kind of been a decade long slow burn. I mean, there's really not been any spikes up or spikes down in terms of uh, readership or membership or reading. I mean, it's really just kind of been a slow climb up. And so, you know, maybe that's been, um, you know, maybe that has been a uh, a downfall on my part in terms, not in terms of uh, trying to goose the uh, interest or membership or readership of the blog. But to me, that's felt very sort of um, that's been kind of a comfortable sort of path in terms of letting people find the blog. And and if you and if you like it, tell, tell a couple of friends. And if you don't, um, that's fine. That's fine as well. I mean, I think there's plenty of room within, um, you know, there's plenty of room within the blogosphere for different sorts of approaches. So I've never felt like, uh, you know, that I needed to to kind of hit people over the head with um you know a a need to read to read my blog um but no i mean i think that's that's always kind of been my approach great to hear that that's interesting so it seems like you really do enjoy blogging for sure you've been
0: doing it for quite for quite a while and a book came out of it with with the same name so how did that happen what's the story there
1: well, um, you know, it was, um, like I said, I, I had an interest in writing a book for a long time. And so um, after having blogged for a while, you know, you generate um, a little bit of an audience and, and it was just kind of uh, uh, it was just kind of organic in the sense that I had a couple of publishers approach me uh, at or around the same time and really it was kind of an outgrowth of that. And, you know, the one thing that blogging on a daily basis does is really kind of give you um, kind of the discipline and the insight into what it takes to write on a daily basis, and so that kind of served me well when it came to writing the actual book. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So I think it was a, you know, it was a, re- it was a great process. I'm certainly glad that I did it. I think that the, um, you know, that the market for financial books is tough at the moment. Um, I've had other ideas about writing, you know, writing books, uh, and haven't gotten. Uh, haven't gotten up the nerve to do them. So maybe you know, maybe sometime down the road I'll write another book. But uh, but no, it was a it was a great experience, and it's um, I think it's almost become kind of a writer rite of passage for bloggers, not just in finance but in other areas as well, who uh, who have kind of been at it for a while. So this so before starting
0: the blog, you try and publish the book, but it didn't have success pitching it. And then after the blogging experience, and after you put your name out there, you worked well. Is that right?
1: Uh, it did. Yeah, it was a completely different book. And you know, anybody who is um, in and around the publishing realm today will um, will quickly realize that you know the the first. One, two, and three things that publishers ask today is, you know, what's your audience? What's your presence on social media? And how are you going to sell this book that we're going to pay you to write? And so, uh, it's very much become um, it's very much become an issue where uh, book writers have to have some sort of uh, kind of pre-built audience in terms of, um, you know, in terms of getting publishers interested in their book, and so. Um, you know, I think that's what a blog and that's what an email list uh, provides a writer. And so talking about email lists, when did you start,
0: first of all, pushing or just working on the daily newsletter? How did that get started?
1: You know, it's really, you know, the, the email newsletter has really always just kind of been, um, you know, another channel for what I'm doing. And so... Um, frankly, for most of the most of the life of the blog, it's really just been an automated email based off of the RSS feed, and so. Um, that's really kind of been, been the extent of it. And it's been, again, somewhat, uh, kind of organic in terms of, um, you know, in terms of the email list, you know, if somebody wants to read, uh, you know, wants to read abnormal returns in their email inbox, great. If they want to read it on the web, that's, that's fine as well. And so uh, I never really felt that it was, to me, it was just another channel for, um, you know, for, uh, the content. That's cool. Awesome. You know that. That being said, I think there is. You know, I think one of the great things about email is that, you know, there are a lot of different approaches to it. I mean, I think some people. It's great to read somebody who kind of handcrafts, um, sort of an email, whether it be on a daily basis, weekly, or monthly, whatever the frequency might be. Um, and you know, I think those are maybe. You know, those are probably the most impactful emails. The ones where you can kind of see. You can kind of see the the personality of the writer behind it and the way they kind of uh, bring things together. And I think it's it's very much kind of a cre- you know uh, I think the creativity involved I think is somewhat underplayed by people. I mean I think the best email newsletters are uh, are kind of almost a thing unto themselves and. Um, you know, like I said, abnormal returns. I view it really as just another channel for uh, the things I put on uh, on the web. But I think, you know, um, in terms of emails, newsletters, I think there is, uh, you know, there are a number of different genres and subgenres where uh, people are kind of crafting, kind of handcrafting those, and those are oftentimes the best emails, um, you know, that you get in your inbox.
0: Absolutely, so I totally agree with that. What are some of your favorite ones?
1: Uh, you know, uh, you know, there's there's a lot. I mean, I think one of my favorites is Next Draft by by Dave Pell. Um, I mean, he kind of does, uh, you know, he does kind of a broader sort of approach to the news. I mean, he's really looking at everything in terms of, you know. Uh politics, entertainment, society, culture, technology. And that's really one of my favorites. That's one of those that I get on a daily basis, and that's one that I'm I'm sure to read on a daily basis.
0: Great. Um I do want to have him on the show at some point. That's awesome. So we're gonna switch subjects a little bit now. It's interesting to hear your thoughts on the newsletter and on the blog, but you have a lot of experience in finance and you've been blogging about it for years now, and again, that's one of our favorites. So Tadas, when you were starting in uh, finance, what were some of the heroes that motivated you? Like, who did you used to look up to when you were getting started?
1: Oh wow, um, that is a great question. I don't know that you know. I don't know that uh, I really thought about it in those terms. I mean, I think that um, one of the I think one of the challenges of um, finance specifically, and that's you know, that's what I can kind of best talk about, is that everybody kind of, uh, what I have found for myself, and I think talking with other people as well, is that um, as you get older and as you get different sorts of experiences, um, you're kind of your view of the world change, the world view of the world changes. And I think it's uh, so everybody kind of goes on their own journey. And I don't know that I ever really had heroes, per se. I mean, I think I like, I'm, you know, I'm probably similar to a lot of people in terms of when I was a um, a younger person in finance and investing. You know, I was really interested in trading and trying to become. You know, the best possible uh, investor and and smartest uh, person in terms of investing that I could be. And I think experience gives you a little bit sort of a different sort of perspective. And I think, you know, as I've gotten older, I've realized the challenges in that. And I've realized that trying to become, um, you know, a super investor takes not only a lot of work, but it also takes a great deal of sacrifice. And, you know, as I have uh, progressed in my career, I have come to the realization that the things that I like doing are uh, taking in information, synthesizing it, and really kind of maybe providing, um, being more of an educational resource more than anything else. And so, you know, sometimes when people ask me about abnormal returns, I kind of, I I like to say that it's really sort of, um, it's an educational resource. And, you know, it's not a place to come if you want to know what the market's going to do over the next week, because frankly, I don't know what the market's going to do over the next week. What I'm really trying to provide for people and the things that I like doing are, uh, you know, kind of getting that 30,000 foot overview uh, and trying to synthesize that information down and help people out in terms of their own journey. And so. Um, I know that sounds, probably sounds a little bit corny, but um, that's kind of the way that I've come to it. And so, um, you know, uh, you know, by by taking a step back from being a super active investor, that has freed up time, resources, and kind of cognitive load to do some of these other things.
0: Interesting. How old were you when you
1: graduated from college? Oh, uh, 21, 22, no.
0: No, no, that's fine. No, no, that that leads up to the second question, which is if you were to meet now the 21 or 22-year-old Titus, what what would you tell him?
1: Um, you know, I, I would say don't be afraid. I mean, I think taking risks, uh, taking chances, taking on additional challenges, um, you know, is all to the good. And I think probably like a lot of other people, a fear of failure um, and things like that probably drove my decision-making more than I would would have liked in retrospect. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, do more, do it, do more sooner, do more, uh, take more chances.
0: And what advice would you give to a uh, 21, 22-year-old just getting in finance?
1: You know, in terms of finance, I mean, I think the world has changed a great deal. I mean, I think we have... Um, you know, when I started in finance, um, email was uh, was barely kind of a thing. I mean, you know, um, and things were done. You know, I still remember sending telexes when in one of my first jobs. So the technology has completely revolutionized the world in which we live, and I think that being, you know, if somebody really wants to become um, you know, a part of, uh, of the investment world going forward, they really not only have to have a background in finance, they really have to have some technical skills as well, whether that be uh, on the programming front or in terms of being able to deal with, um, you know, big data sets um, or other sorts of statistical sorts of techniques. I mean, I think the world has really changed. And I think largely for the better, um, but i think I think it's a very different sort of path than it was twenty or twenty five years ago.
0: What are some current tech developments then that you see are going to have a really huge impact in finance in the upcoming years?
1: Well, I think they all stem from the application of technology to various to various sorts of problems. Um, you know, I think we're already seeing uh, the hedge funds of the world try to apply. Uh, you know, uh, various sorts of quantitative and big data techniques um, to their analysis and to their portfolios. Um, and then I think that trickles down to the individual as well. We're already seeing a continued compression in fees, whether it be on the brokerage front, you know, just this past week, both Fidelity and Schwab announced that they were cutting their commission rates on uh, stock trades. And we're continuing to see a shift towards lower cost um, investing, and I think that's frankly a great thing for investors. I mean, in the sense that it really does reduce some of the frictions um, in terms of investing. It really opens up a lot of things. the The entire idea of having um, robo advisors or the other sorts of automated solutions have really opened things up. And I think that you know uh, we're going to continue to see technology. Um, not only displace certain roles and jobs, but it's also going to enhance a lot of the outcomes as well.
0: Interesting. What are some negative t- trends then that you observe in finance?
1: You know, I do, you know maybe i'm maybe I'm too much of an optimist in terms of negative trends. I mean, I think the biggest you know the biz- the big the biggest risk that I see is that um, investors today are going to experience generally lower returns um, going forward. and that makes, um, and that makes things difficult for everybody. And I think those are real challenges. And I think um, those challenges, not only for the individual, but they also those challenges also play out in terms of the ability of various sorts of public and private pension funds to generate the returns that they need to uh, to fund future liabilities. And so um, a low return world is a challenge for everybody. And so maybe that 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 makes the um, you know makes the need to reduce expenses and, and simplify things all the more important but you know in general I'm a bit of a techno optimist and I think that technology by and large is going to serve us um, well in terms of the investment world it'll certainly it's certainly going to make it more difficult for uh, people to generate alpha and um, abnormal returns as it were Uh, But I do think that, uh, you know, net-net for the, you know, for the average investor, it's going to be a boom. What's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, um, I don't know, you know, again, kind of like the whole hero thing. I don't know that anything really sorts of, uh, you know, sorts of um, kind of jumps out at me. I think that... Um, Again, like I said, I think different advice hits you at different points and times in your life. And so it's funny because sometimes I'll get a request from somebody to tell the, um, you know, to give you to give a list of uh, the best books, um, you know, that somebody should read in investing or finance. You know, and I always find that difficult because, um, you know different books and different pieces of advice hit you at different points in times. And so trying to tell something to a 25 year old is very different than trying to tell it to um, a near 50 year old. And so different, you know, so I think perspective is very important in that respect. And so, you know, trying to pin down any one thing is difficult. I'm not trying to, to dodge the subject. I just have a difficult time trying to think about anything that really sorts of jumps out at me.
0: Tadas. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. It was great having you here, great insights, both on blogging and finance. It was great to hear your personal story, just really, really interesting in general. Guys, if you want to find out more about Tadas and his work, I suggest you visit Abnormal Returns for his blog and also absolutely subscribe for his email newsletter. Those are some of the best uh, links you're gonna get and the insights he writes is just amazing. You should definitely check it out. If you want to finally reclaim your inbox and tame the newsletters you receive, check out heykite.com. I'll see you in the next week or so, and this is Kite.